We only got about 75% of the 60-some votes. That surprises me a lot. Well, I, thought he, I thought he'd be way up there. Mr. Pierce, did you vote for him? Hello, and welcome back to the Auto Week Podcast, the place where you get all of your car-related needs. We got drive reviews. We have news. We have racing leaning a little heavy on the racing these days and i'm happy for it uh, because we're back to racing that's good news but did i mention news i did mention news that means top of the show you're here with me wesley wren uh the great wes reynolds with us wes how are we doing today good how are you thank you for the intro i would think great is a quite a stretch but thank you well i would say it's an understatement but no one's asking you're um, too kind I don't know about that. And Robin's joining us. Robin, you're here with the numbers. How are we doing, Robin? The adequate Robin Warner is also here. It's hey, uh, adequate's not an insult. That's a you're 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 doing your you're doing your thing. Thank you. I am both adequate and mediocre. Raynal, just take pride in the fact that you got a great and I got absolutely nothing. I had to add my own adequate. I'll say you're but you're more than adequate, Warner. <laughs> <laughs> Much like a Rolls Royce, Robin is more than adequate. More than adequate. Woo! I'm going to put that on my resume. What, Mr. Randall, are we here to talk about today? We're here to talk about a couple of new motors, but before we get into that, we're going to talk about the new Nissan Rogue that was revealed this week. Uh, a whole new Rogue. What um, is going on with that Nissan? It looks like a shrunken, to me, it looks like a sh- on, the, on AutoWeek.com, it looks like a shrunken Armada, which is, of course, the big uh, Nissan SUV. Uh, I think it looks really nice, but, of course, I haven't seen it in person. I'm talking about pictures. I'm, I'm particularly impressed with the photos I'm looking at of the interior. I think the interior for a Nissan, let me give you that caveat. Ooh, looks fa- no, no. first. I, no, I mean it looks it's more infinity esque than it is uh Nissan. It's it, I meant that as a compliment. Now I'm sure a couple things. I I haven't seen it in person number 1 and number 2. I'm sure I'm looking at pictures of the highest end one that that Nissan is going to offer. But that said, it looks very nice. It's a nice looking car. It's on a whole new platform. I mean, considering that it, it competes with like the CRV and the RAV4 and the Escape I think it looks way better than all. That's a that's a polarizing take there, Mr. Raynal. It's funny that you mentioned the interior and it being nicest because uh, first I want to say that uh, it, you're you're right. It definitely looks more Armada esque, but it looks a lot like um, a uh, concept car they did a couple years ago called the Cross Motion, which they spelled X Motion, and it definitely has like this like general theme of like looking more rugged even though it isn't actually more rugged it just has that like more squared off like old land rover defender that going that direction um of looks exterior and i'm with you i think especially when you compare it to say like the original rogue which was like kind of round and bubbly and bulbous and a little weird this is a huge improvement like it's been going in the right direction styling wise and it's got this really interesting trait where the headlights actually kind of in the middle of the grill and the top row of lights are actually the turn signals and the running lights, stuff like that. So there's these interesting little quirks to the styling of the car. And interior wise, one of the reasons why 
it looks nicer than before is Nissan is adding a platinum level trim to the Rogue, which they haven't done before. Support before it was just S, SV, SL, SL being the top. Now platinum goes above that. And that's where you get like a whole bunch of like the nicer, the nicer materials and all like the, the cool diamond stitching and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you're 100% looking at the platinum level interior with the biggest infotainment screen and the nicest gadgets and stuff it, like that. It looks sharp. We should also point out to the listeners that the powertrain is pretty much carryover. Two and a half liter, four uh, CVT. Uh, a little Nissan, more horsepower. Nissan's famous for the CVT. Nissan was an early adapter on the CVT. Love it or hate it. Uh, so the powertrain, yeah, uh, right. I guess it's got a little more power, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it's, it's up 11 horsepower and six pound feet. So the engine isn't completely unchanged. They did update it, but it is, we're still working with the same foundational, uh, you know, bore centers and all that kind of fun stuff. And obviously right it's available in front wheel drive or all wheel drive if you need all wheels driven. Which, you know, north of the Mason Dixon line, you probably do. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm tempted to get on a soapbox here about you don't and you need snow tires and blah, blah, blah. But hey, Spe so. Speaking of soapboxes, before we move on a little bit, I just want to say uh, Nissan's crossover peaked at the Murano Cross Cabriolet. Changed my mind. Uh, good luck. You're not gonna. But moving on, uh, I heard a couple new engines are hitting a couple cars. Uh, what is the deal with that, Mr. Raynal? V8. V8. Yeah, well, I'll let I'll let Warner go first on this one. Uh, the Porsche, uh, the Porsche Cayenne, which is Porsche's larger of the two SUVs they sell. The Cayenne is getting the GTS model, and the updated GTS model now comes with a four-liter V8 instead of a three-point-six-liter V6, and that means more power, more torque, but not by that much because they're both the V6 was turbocharged, the V8's turbocharged. It's up nineteen horsepower. Um, now at 453 and 457 pound-feet of torque, which is 15 uh, pound-feet uh, more torque at its peak than before. Not huge gains, but, dude, you get V8 rumble now in your uh, Porsche Cayenne, and that's super cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good engine. It's, it's exactly, it is the exact same engine that Porsche revealed in their Panamera GTS, and it's just a big rumbly thing. And uh, Porsche has a sport exhaust that comes standard on the GTS, so it's a little bit louder than a standard Cayenne would be. And if you get the Porsche GTS, Cayenne GTS Coupe, um, you, get, you have the option to get a louder still exhaust. So they are making efforts for the Coupe version of the Cayenne GTS, which is still an SUV. They just call it a Coupe, but it's an SUV. Um, to even be even louder and rumblier. So that's cool. Loud and rumble. Well, you can't tough go wrong. To tough to argue against that from Porsche. Uh, Porsche, thank you for putting another V8 out in the wild. We do appreciate it. Uh, tough, to, tough to argue against the V8. But, Mr. Raynal, I heard Subaru's doing something too. Subaru gave its 2021 Crosstrek a... A V8? Does it a get little, a V8? <laughs> it, it gets a twin-turbo V16... <laughs> uh, nice. Wow, that is seven, seven, seventeen hundred horsepower. They wanted Seems to do excessive. a nod to the old Porsche nine seventeen, and so they gave it fourteen hundred horsepower. Uh, 
if you order the cross track upper trim levels, you get a new two and a half liter boxer for flat four, 182 horsepower, which is not a bad number for a Subaru. Well, Mr. Arnold, that's a 30 horsepower bump over the standard cross track. That's huge. Right, because the, the, the 2021 standard cross track makes do with the old motor, which is a two liter flat four. 152 horsepower. So to get the 182, you got to step up to the higher end uh, trim levels. But so base and premium are the smaller four, and uh, the upper two level, the upper trim levels are uh, limited in sport. Get the uh, get the better motor or the more horsepower. Only a yeah. CBT uh, it, on the big motor. If you want a manual, you got to get with the mo the small, you got to have a small motor. It, you know, it's alphabet soup over there at Subaru these days, all these different trim levels. And so the easiest way to th think of it is the s lower trim levels, get the smaller motor and a choice of transmissions and the upper echelon gets the bigger motor with CVT only. It's, it's worth pointing out that, that, uh, that for context, if you go 152 to 182, if you make that jump, that's a 20% gain in power. And that's, that's going to be a healthy, noticeable difference. Yeah, that's, and, a good, uh, that's a good round figure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, I think we'd all agree on the podcast here that the Crosstrek has a lot of great features, a lot of things you can admire about it, but horsepower, any amount of power was not one of them. So having the availability to go up half a liter and get another 20% of power is a welcome change. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah, I mean, the only complaint I have against the Crosstrek, one of the ones I've driven anyway, is that it's maybe not quite powerful enough, but uh, that 30 extra horsepower will definitely help. I agree. And I mean, it's it's fair to say, I mean, one thing that is becoming, a, you know, rarer and something you can kind of have interest in is this is a this is a naturally aspirated engine we're looking at here. So if you do not like turbos, this is this is nice to see a little bit more power coming in, you know, simpler, naturally aspirated times. And uh, it's a step further in the direction of the Crosstrek STI that I've been bandying about for a couple of years now. I'm looking forward to it. I hope Subaru does it. But until then, I think now it's a good time to pivot to the old racing team. Stay tuned for racing. And we are back. Back with the racing side of things, and a lot of news uh, this week in the racing world, or at least a lot of historical precedents being set in the racing world. You're here, still here with me, Wesley Wren, uh, along with us is Mike Bryson. Still quarantined. And first time in a long time, I've missed you, buddy, Al Pierce. <laughs> I'm glad to be here, gentlemen. I'm well, glad to be here. We're, we're glad where, to have where you. Is here? Where is here, Al? Are you still well, in the yeah, I'm still in Virginia in Newport News, uh, overlooking the scenic James River, um, where the first colonial settlers came uh, 400 years ago. So I'm in historic Virginia, where all all good things happen eventually. Well, how's the how's the, how's the coronavirus out there? I mean, you guys are are you guys really locked down, or you've been no, we're, out? we're yeah, we're in pretty good shape now. Um, maybe a month ago, it was a little scary. Um, my wife and I have not been out of the house 
except for brief little trips for maybe a hundred days. We've been in the house reading, watching good TV, um, writing. Um, so we, we really, we took it seriously. Um, some of you people may know my sister and her husband died of the virus up in New Jersey within 50 hours of each other. Back in April, my sister died. Uh, her husband died about 50 hours later. So we, we have taken it seriously uh, because we took it personally. So, um, but we're, we're hoping things will break up soon. They raced in Martinsville last Wednesday night without fans. Um, I don't know when they're going to let fans come back. Even even the weekly NASCAR tracks here in Virginia, uh, they are not yet cleared to go back with fans. So we're just waiting. But what we're not waiting for is the announcement of the NASCAR Hall of Famers, the the 2020 <laughs> class of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Uh, well, 2020, it'd be 2021. 2021, yeah. My calendar says 2020. Well, it's the class of 2021, though. They go in next year. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it, but we, we, we get we get to we get to celebrate them here for several months, and then we get to actually put them in. But. Good deal. But uh, they threw us a little curveball this year, uh, delaying the announcement, and they finally announced them. Uh, who has finally gra- who will grace the NASCAR Hall of Fame? Well, to the absolute surprise of nobody, <laughs> Dale Earnhardt Jr. went in yesterday pretty easily. Well, he was selected last week, and it was announced yesterday. Dale Earnhardt Jr. went in, which is no big surprise. Uh, the late Mike Stefanik went in, which I think is something of a surprise. Um, I don't know that Mike Stefanik would have been selected if, if, I mean, to be quite frank about it, I don't believe he would have been selected if he were still alive and racing. Tell me about Stefanik, though. What I mean, he's not a he wasn't a NASCAR Cup champion or anything. No, was, no, what, never. So, what was his claim to fame? What, what did he get in for? Well, well, he was a seven-time modified series champion uh, at the same level, if not equal to or better than um, the legendary Richie Evans from New York and Jerry Cook from New York, both of whom already are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Mike Stefanik won actually nine NASCAR championships, uh, seven modified, two in the what they call the K&N North or K&N East series. Um, never ran cup, ran a couple of Xfinity, not much. Um, and I really believe that he would not have gone in this quickly if he were still alive. Uh, he was killed in a plane crash last September. Um, I think the weekend we were up at the New Hampshire race. I think that's yep. right. So right. Uh, there was a sympathy vote there. He is very deserving, but I don't think he should be uh, a knee-jerk reaction to put him in because he's dead. Um, and, and I did not vote for Dale Earnhardt Jr., not that he will not be deserving or would not have been, but I think the first time around, you got Jr., you got Carl Edwards, you had Jeff Burton, uh, all of whom were on the ballot for the 
first time. I didn't vote for any of them. Uh, like I said a few moments ago, I really think that the men who built the sport, the guys who were down there in the 70s and 80s and 90s, made it what it is today, for better or for worse, they should be recognized ahead of these young kids who are on the ballot for the first time. Um, but my primary objection is that, you know, Ricky Rudd's now been on the ballot seven years. And if they had not used the new system, where they only took two drivers, and Ricky would have made it yesterday because he was third overall. Well, if they used to take five and Ricky was third yesterday, it, it's fairly evident to me that Ricky would have made it yesterday. I think Harry Gant should go in ahead of Junior, ahead of Jeff Burton, and ahead of uh, Carl Edwards. But Harry was one of the guys who came up from nothing, and I mean nothing, to become a, a great star, a fan favorite, an accomplished driver. Ricky Rudd and his family started with absolutely nothing. They came out of nowhere, and he had a tremendous career, won the Brickyard, won a bunch of races. Um, but I'm afraid that people like Harry Gant and Ricky Rudd, Neil Bonnet perhaps, they won't make it now because the, the, the next two or three brand new ones are going to all be pretty faces. They're going to be guys who've done TV maybe. Um, and, and the guys who built the sport are going to continue to be overlooked. And I hate that. Well, Al, can I ask, before we get into the other guys, I want to ask you about what you're talking a little bit here. I totally get the sentiment towards the guys from the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, whatever, as the guys who built the sport. Uh, my concern, I'm uh, maybe a generation, one generation past you there, I guess. You were a little bit before me. But, like, Buddy Baker got in last year. Um, I'm looking at the numbers. I'm a numbers and I'm more of an analytics guy when it, when it comes to the Hall of Fame and not necessarily a, a feel for, hey, he was a great racer and all that. I mean, Buddy Baker, Al, had 19 wins, only finished in the top five uh, one time in his career in the points. So he was never a, you know, a, a perennial knocking on the door to win a championship kind of guy. Um, only five times in 35 years did he even finish in the top 10 in the, I mean, this was a, this was, you know, if you erased the name Buddy Baker, we, the name Buddy Baker is synonymous with, wow, he was always a great guy. Well, if you take his name off it and just look at the numbers, you're going, this is a journeyman guy. I mean, does that lower the bar when somebody like him gets in? Because you mentioned Ricky Rudd and even Jeff Burton, their numbers are better than Buddy Baker's. Well, the, the the other thing you need to think about is that uh, Buddy won some Daytona 500s. He won some Talladega races. He won Charlotte 600 two or three times. Um, he did not run the full schedule all that often. So that might, that contributed somewhat to his lack of top tens and points, uh, only being a part-timer for a while. The thing about Buddy is, and, and it's such a political thing, his TV work was pretty impressive. A lot of people really liked him because of his personality. Um, 
it's called the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Accomplishments. Um, and, and Junior is clearly one of the most famous names out there. Uh, his resume is mediocre, but there was no way you were going to keep somebody out who was the sport's biggest name for, for 15 years. And he did have, Junior did have two Xfinity championships. You got to give him that. Um, but when you go strictly by numbers, yeah, Red Byron shouldn't be in there. He only ran about 10 races in his in his whole life. Quite frankly, Wendell Scott should not be in if you're going strictly by numbers. So, I mean, Alan Kowicki, uh, again, his career was cut short. Davey Allison's career was cut short. You go just by numbers, they don't belong in there either. So well, Kowicki gets in. Kowicki gets in though as a, as the last owner, as a champion, right? Champion. Champion. I mean, I right. give you a lot for a champion, but again, Buddy Baker, the best he ever got was fifth in the points. And again, you talk about his a lot of years was a part time driver, and that's why he wasn't high in the points. To me, that's another strike against him. I want a guy that's out there competing for championships. Um, you know, you talk about the, uh, the the Daytona 500 win, you know, Talladega. I mean, now do we look at a guy like Ryan Newman? He won the Daytona 500. Uh, he's been kind of a journeyman. I mean, is he considered for the Hall of Fame? His numbers are going to stack up pretty well with a Buddy Baker. Just to interject real fast, Mike, uh, Fireball Roberts never won a NASCAR title, but he's probably one of the most famous racers and one yeah, of the most ex deserving. Ex exactly. The the famous thing and, and the Hall of Fame, I mean, that's one interpretation of it. Uh and, and I and I get that. Uh, but I don't necessarily want all of our most popular drivers just to get in. I mean, that that makes Danica Patrick a slam dunk here in a year or two. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> one of your favorite I, topics. I did some research about that, and uh oh, one of the qualifications for being eligible for the Hall of Fame, you must have raced for at least 10 years. Okay. So she misses right there. She did not race. Whoa. She did not race NASCAR for 10 years. Now, wait a minute. Let's check that. I, I want to check that. Some of those I guys, don't think so. Some of those guys from the early years, did all those guys run their 10 years? Well, now, again. Your Herb Thomases and those guys, they didn't run 10 years, did they? I think they might have. But okay, NASCAR, yeah, NASCAR is what they call, and a lot of guys have heard it. It's called E I R I. <laughs> okay, what's you, that? You know what that means? Except, I, I, except in rare instances. So they got to weasel out. They got it out. They, right, they, they got it. Out. They if, they, can, if, they, if they want to use it, they can use it. Right. Basically, they can do anything <laughs> they want to make anybody eligible. Um. I, I, yeah, you know, the fame part, if fame is all it takes, she'll make it or she'll be nominated. Whether she gets elected, I have no idea. The other thing is, before we forget this, you talk about numbers are a big deal. Nobody in NASCAR can tell me how many races Red Farmer won. They I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I couldn't find much on the, the old racing reference historical site and stats site. Can you it's tell us, a, give us a little bit of Red Farmer for us, please? Well, Red Farmer is 87 years old. He will race this weekend <laughs> at a dirt track somewhere in the South. He's been racing since the early 50s. 
they estimate he's got between 700 and 900 wins. Well, that's a pretty good range. You know, <laughs> if, he, if he's only won half that many, that's pretty good. But they don't know. Now, the thing about Red Farmer is he is a larger-than-life character. Um, he's driven for the same sponsor for about 40 years. Um, he, he, he's one of the Alabama gang boys. He and Bobby and Donnie and Neil Bonnet all used to run together. Um, now, he was at least they put him in the old-timer category. They did not put him in with the modern drivers. Um, that gave him a little bit of a an edge up because he may be the most famous of the of the old time guys on that ballot. Quite frankly, the Red Farmer within the racing circles may be as big a name in that five group as anybody. I didn't vote for him because my my feeling is why would I vote for a guy going into the Hall of Fame who's still competing? Now, when he retires, if he ever does, then I think he would have been more eligible. I didn't like the fact that he was still racing and was going to be considered for the Hall of Fame. Well, Al, we're, we're kind of touching on something we kind of glossed over. Uh, you are intimately familiar with this voting process because you are a judge for the Hall of yeah. Fame. Can you tell us a little bit about the process that goes into voting for these uh, inductees and nominees and just how the whole system works from the inside? Yeah, well, I, I can't get too specific. Because, you'll get in trouble, won't you? Right, get, in trouble uh, yeah, get in trouble again. Add <laughs> that word. Um, basically, what we generally do is gather in Charlotte on a race weekend in May, and there are 65 of us, something like that, not all of them show up, but they should. But anyway, uh, and we all go to a big a big room in the Hall of Fame, and uh, there is a presentation. NASCAR and the Hall of Fame um, ha have obviously given us resumes ahead of time. Um, every candidate or every award is discussed in great detail. And then the floor is open for discussion, which generally runs about three hours. Uh, everybody can stand up and say their piece. They can talk against a, a nominee. They can talk for a nominee. Um, they can point out the fallacy in another guy's argument. They can point out a fallacy in your argument. Uh, it, it's just, it's almost like a, like a convention when everybody's cheering on for their favorite. And then at the end of all this great long discussion, three hours later, we get we get ballots handed out individually, and we mark them, we put them back in the envelope and seal them and turn them back in. We sit around for an hour, and an accounting firm um, tallies the votes. And generally, before this year, we've always known right then, that very day, who the, who the honorees are going to be. And two hours later at 5 o'clock, generally, they have a short TV presentation in the Hall of Fame itself to announce who the five people are. Now, on occasion, in hint, the the new honorees will happen to be in the room. Oh, I just I just happened to be down here and thought I'd drop in. Well, a number of us think that maybe between the counting and the announcing, there are phone calls made saying, if you're not doing anything, 
future rafts down here to the Hall of Fame. Now, we, we don't know that to be true, but it certainly is convenient when the people who were being selected happen to be in the room. I remember the year that Wendell Scott was, was selected. His entire family just happened to drive down from Danville that morning to come to the Hall of Fame. Just happened to be there. So, Or, or, or you can get David Pearson. I mean, yeah, well, you, that where right. You, where, you, where you know you're going to get in and suddenly you don't get in. You thought you were going to get in. I'm sure. Should have got in. <laughs> I should have, right. I'm sure that David Pearson was told by somebody, whether officially or otherwise, you know, you might want to drive down to Charlotte tomorrow and go to the Hall of Fame because you're going to almost certainly get in. Um, to me, that has been, in the first 12 classes, that has been one of the worst miscarriages of justice yet that Pearson did not get in the first hall, um, but everybody thought he should. And I, I know that a lot of people did not think that both of the Francis should go in. Either Bill Sr. or Bill Jr. should have gone in, um, and that would have opened the door for David Pearson. But David went in the next year along with Bobby Allison and some others, so you know, it, it was a it was a very hurtful moment for him, um, but it, it's you know you really don't know for sure until they read those five names off. And yesterday, I did not know for sure, except Junior. I knew Junior was going to make it. Um, so you know what they do now is they add three new people, they add two new ones or two modern people, and they add one to the old timer ballot. Um, I'm thinking that Greg Biffle and maybe Mike Wallace, uh, Mike Waltrip might go in as a modern pick. Uh, I don't know who the older guy might be. Maybe, maybe Jim Pascal, but I don't know. I just, I, I, it's when you're only picking two out of five, a lot of people are going to get left out because at some point in time, eventually uh, Juan Pablo Montoya will, will be available um, Ryan Newman, like it or not, Ryan Newman will be will will come to uh, Ricky Craven from up in New England. He he will become eligible. So a lot more people are going to be eligible to get on that list. Who will actually get on it, and that's the way halls of fame are, I guess. And and where the uh, the Hall of Fame, uh, I guess again, I'm kind of emphasizing the bar is kind of low right now. We know kind of where it falls. We could be watching right now, Al, seven or eight Hall of Famers racing actively right now. I mean, this, there's a lot of guys out there that are in that 20, oh, 30, yeah. 20 30, oh, yeah. 40 win range and uh, championships and all that. We, again, you can make a case for probably eight guys out there right now that you can say, huh, I think when it's all said and done, they're in the Hall of Fame, which makes today arguably one of the golden eras of racing. Yeah, well, the Bush brothers, both both yep. Bush brothers will go in at some point in time, and it may it'll be a while, but at some point, Chase Elliott will go in. Yep. At at, at some point in time, um, well, you got Harvick and Johnson. You haven't mentioned. Yeah. Them. Oh well. Yeah. Now let me say something right now about Jimmy. Jimmy will be if I'm still on the voting panel when Jimmy comes up. I'm still alive by then. Jimmy will be the first first timer I'll ever vote for. And I think I'm making a prediction right now. Jimmy might be the first unanimous pick. I don't see how in four years Jimmy Johnson cannot be the unanimous pick. I just don't see it. 
But yeah, Harvick's a champion. Both Bushes are champions. Um, Keselowski is a champion. At some point in time, Logano will get up there. So you're right. There's probably 10 drivers competing right now. Hamlin's got oh, 40 Denny, wins. Denny's Denny. a lock. Denny's yep, a he's lock. Got 40, he's got 40 wins now. Matt Kenseth has. Now, Kenseth is kind of hurting himself a little bit. He's now gone back to the ineligible category because he's now a full-time racer again. But, yeah, Denny Hamlin's got three Daytonas and 40 wins, and he'll be he'll be an absolute lock. Well, we are running a little short on time. Uh, Mr. Pierce, any final thoughts on this year's Hall of Fame, uh, Hall of Fame inductees? I found it absolutely amazing that – one person on the panel, maybe more than one. There is something, NASCAR gives out something called a landmark award for outstanding contributions to NASCAR. That's the official title. I can't believe it. But somebody on the panel, and I know who it was, I'm not going to call him out, voted for Janet Guthrie. Come on. <laughs> you got, you got, uh, you got I five stand can- by my vote. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you got five candidates. One of which is Mike Helton, one of which is Ralph Seagraves, and one of which is Janet Guthrie and two other people. That that was such a that that group right there, because Mike Helton made it known that he did not want to be the landmark award winner. He he, he basically said, My career's not done, my work is not done, even though I was the president of NASCAR for a while, that should not give me a leg up. And Ralph Seagraves should have gotten that award seven years ago, because if not for Ralph Seagraves, R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company, back in the early 70s, if it were not for Ralph Seagraves marrying up with Bill France Sr. and Ralph Seagraves giving NASCAR untold millions of dollars, untold tens of millions, certainly a billion over the lifetime of their arrangement. God knows where NASCAR would have been in the 70s without the money that R.J. Reynolds poured into it. So you talk about contributions. That was Ralph Seagraves from day one. I don't know that Janet Guthrie's contributed anything to NASCAR. Now, to racing, maybe, but to NASCAR, no. I just thought that was kind of odd. That's the end of my speech. Well, and what a speech it was. But before we wrap up, (laughs) We must say congratulations again to uh, Mr. Dale Earnhardt Jr. No one saw him right. seeing the Hall of Fame, but, you know, <laughs> the dark horse wins sometimes, right? Right. I'm kidding. Uh, Dale was obviously a lock, and congratulations to him. Uh, I, my, I'm, if, I, if I say one more thing, I'm sure? surprised Dale, I'm surprised he didn't get more votes than he did. He only got about 75% of the 60-some votes. That surprises me a lot. Well, I thought he'd I thought he'd be way up there. Mr. Pierce, did you vote for him? No, I did not. Well <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I guess we could uh, move on to the next discussion item. <laughs> uh and uh, congratulations to Mike Stefanik and uh Red Farmer. Red Farmer, yep. You guys are all now and have been creating history and will live on forever in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. But if you want to do me a favor and live on in our history, head over to the Apple Podcast store. Drop us a five-star review. Let us know how we're doing. Let me know how we're doing. Also, if everything worked out today, uh, you're listening to this in a slightly different uh, format. We moved hosts, 
unless we didn't because I screwed something up. But hopefully we did. Hopefully everything's seamless. And hopefully <laughs> you will be able to tune in next week with no problems. Thank you for listening.